It's mid-June. It's time for War on the Line on the Watercrest Line. I'm here at Ropley Station, and it's getting quite busy, even though it's still quite early in the morning. Plenty of people in period costume and other enthusiasts here for the day. A light locomotive, Southern number 506, has just gone down to Arlesford to pick up the first train coming up from Arlesford. Here on the platform, there's the Heritage Milliner and chaps of distinction of vintage-style menswear and accessories. So even if you haven't dressed for the part before you came, you can do whilst you're here. Welcome to Life on the Watercrest Line. In this series, we follow the activities of the line throughout the year. We go behind the scenes and see all aspects of the operation. Welcome to War on the Line 2019, Part 1. This year, the Watercrest Line commemorates the 75th anniversary of D-Day. I'm with Paul Smith, who's a cycling shoe repairman. Yeah, actually representing um, my granddad, who had a shop many years ago, sort of thing. So I thought, well, why not be the shoe repairman? Because everybody dresses up as military and civilians, but I've got a little bit of history, sort of thing. The shop is not there anymore, but I can go back and find exactly where it was, because the streetlight hasn't changed, which is quite good. And what I'm displaying here is a selection of... I can remember, like the tools, etc., and everything. One pair of shoes are an original 40s. It's a bit of fun, you know, sort of thing. And I'm doing a little bit on the side as well with the, um, I got Fortnum and Masons, uh, the local grocery I'm delivering for. But then again, people are, I need their shoes repaired, but got the money to pay for shoes during the wartime. So um, got a few tins of stuff and a couple of eggs here and there now and again that people have gave, gave me, sort of thing. It all makes good fun for it, you know. And I see you've got a pair that Corporal Green has left behind where he owes you three and eleven pence. Yeah, three and eleven pence, yeah. He says, oh, can you repair these? He says, I'm off, but he says, I can't say where. <laughs> and I don't know if I'll be back. So the last time I saw him, well, that was he was on a train waving to his um, his wife, I think, or somebody, a young lady anyway, sort of, shall we say, sort of thing. But Well, I have to say, it is a magnificent setup. And how long have you been bringing the bicycle here? I suppose actually bringing a bike, say, six or seven years, I think. I've actually been coming to the Watercrest line since, I think, as far back as 1972, and there weren't even any trains running then. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. It's been lovely to talk to you. As the locomotive is coming through the station now to attach to the first train to Arlesford, there's quite a queue at the T-Junction snack bar. The Glen Miller tribute band are setting up under their awning... Very sensible to have an awning today because it could well rain later. There are sadly some black clouds above our heads. The locomotive passing me now is a 9F, number 92212. Going to attach to the rear of the train that's going down to Arlesford. In front of me now also in steam is a 4F, 76017. I'm with a member of the Auxiliars 
Churchill's secret army who were to be left behind if Britain was invaded. Basically the stay-behinds were formed by an amalgamation of ideas from SOE, MI6, MI5 and Churchill himself. The hierarchy in the English army did not want or did not like the idea of civilians being armed. They had seen what happened in France with the resistance. However, Churchill wanted to press this home, so they got on and started to create the secret army. It was so secret that not even family members knew that these guys, who were all volunteers, were involved. How did people become volunteers if it was that secret? Uh, They were actually sought out by the army and the auxiliary personnel from Coles Hill House. Each unit had somebody who was familiar with uh, radios. There were regular officers involved. Other personnel, which were the local vicar or a farmer's wife or gamekeeper or somebody like that, would run messages and the auxiliaries were actually the civilian volunteers who were trained to do the business of killing and guerrilla warfare behind enemy lines. The idea was that should England be invaded, these guys would go down to their operational bases, which are hidden in woods and uh, along the south coast, normally within a five-mile range of each other. They would go to ground and they would come up behind enemy lines and create absolute havoc with supply lines, shooting and killing the German officers, etc. Their life expectancy was approximately two weeks. Not a good career move. (laughs) No, but a very, very essential one. the uh, auxiliars were actually the first ones to be issued with the uh, Thompson submachine gun. They had access to weapons and explosives that the regular forces didn't have. A lot of these bunkers, uh, sorry, operational bases, are actually being um, discovered still today. Three weeks ago, I was invited to do an archeological dig on an operational base down in Ferndown in Dorset. All of this lot, basically, is the equipment that the auxiliars would have had. Mapping uh, equipment was very, very essential. Homemade explosives, Molotov cocktails, uh, homemade fragmentation bombs, black pudding plum jam bombs. They used dynamite. They used um, PE explosive, plastic explosive, uh, with pencil timers, which ranged from anywhere from uh, 20 minutes to uh, 20 hours. They had American grenades, they had number four Mills bombs, and they also had plastic explosives stuffed into rats. The Coles Hill staff were trained to cut the rats, put the explosives in, because let's face it, if you had a dead rat on a coal heap, and it was packed full of explosives, the dead rat would just get shoveled straight into the boiler and what better to do the damage. A lot of the auxiliars had, or most of them had reserved occupations. So they were either mine workers, uh, quarry workers, uh, farmers or um, gamekeepers. And uh, they would use their jobs as cover for 
being an auxiliar. How long have you been doing this? I've been doing this for approximately a year and a half now and all of the equipment has taken probably two, three years to accumulate to get it all up. All of the um, equipment on the one table over there, that is all home guard equipment. And the home guard was also used as a cover for the auxiliaries. So that's what that is. And on the left-hand side, that is all the specialised equipment um, and improvised equipment that uh, they would have used. Very, very interesting. Unfortunately, it didn't have to ever be used. No, in actual fact, they were disbanded 75 years ago simply and solely because after D-Day they were deemed not to be needed anymore and uh, they were disbanded. I'm surprised they'd actually been in the saddle, so to speak, for so long. Absolutely essential. The threat was always there across the channel and uh, had they been needed, I think they would have been quite effective. The consequences might have been dire for the civilian population. However, we may still have saved the country. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Very, very interesting part of history that I think a lot of people don't know anything about. No, no I'm still learning. <laughs> There's quite a buzz on the first train to Alsford this morning from Ropley. It's pretty full as well. <laughs> Quite amazing the number of people who've come dressed for the occasion. Yeah. <laughs> Arrest her! Take her down the end like you did me and beat me with your big punches! Ah, is that it? How many have you got? It's an offence to carry more than one. I'm in more trouble from him. I'm going to throw him off the train. Throw him off the train? Yeah. Can I do it while it's moving? Yeah, it's all right then. Yeah, I'll give you permission, okay? Oh, cheers. Looking at the stuff in the gentleman's suitcase, one might suggest that he has an ulterior motive. No, I, I come from Paris, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to move because I feel uncomfortable with this uh, military policeman. Oh, you also have a rabbit. <laughs> oh, hang on. Let's see if they mate, if we have little rabbits come out of the little rabbits. Here we go. <laughs> no. It is a gay rabbit. <laughs> Will you look and sit next to your lovely wife? He's good, he's up there though. Is this not your wife? No? Oh, no, my wife's up there. Shall I carry on molesting her then? Yes, yes carry on. Yes, can we? Excuse me, sir, but you're protruding. Oh, he can't really. Morning, everybody. Is that the back? A very questionable passenger. Yes. Can I ask you, what are you doing with the pieces of rope? They're not ropes, sir. They're oh. knicker elastic. Oh! Lady come up to me in Alton the other day. She said, Sid, have you got any knicker elastic? I said, I have. I said, I've got three pieces of knicker elastic. I've got a red piece, I said. I've got a white piece and I've got a blue piece. She said, that's all well and good, but I'm a big girl and they're not long enough. They're only short lengths. I said, look, don't worry about what I do, lady. I get the red bit and I tie it to the white bit like that and then I get the white bit 
and I tie it to the blue bit like that, you have now, lady, got one bit of patriotic red, white, and blue long bit of elastic. She said, That's all well and good, says she said. Well, what about the knots? They're not going to hurt my belly button. I said, Knots. I said, All it needs is a little bit of Sid magic. Watch closely. One long bit of patriotic red, white, and blue paper elastic. And I never saw the knots disappear. <laughs> so, how long have you been doing this? About 15 years. That's that all. Yeah. Literally 15 years I've been into magic. This, the Smith character, I created four years ago, five years ago for VJ Day. Because I've pulled magic. The Farnham British Legion asked me would I do something for VJ Day. So I created this character and went around doing magic all day. And then, of course, with this, beautiful, we go up to uh, Woodall Spa and Pickering. We do, yeah, love it, love it. It's a lovely scene. And how far have you come today? Only Cambly, so not too bad. It's a very full train this morning. Civilians travelling and lots and lots of military people on the train. Unfortunately, I'm not allowed to tell you the name of the station that we are just coming into, but it is a terminus station on the line. So I'll be getting off and seeing if I can find some people to interview. I'm now on the train at Medstead and Formarks. Sadly, it's starting to rain and the train is full, standing room only. We're currently waiting for the locomotive, which is just going past us and hopefully will be attaching to the train in a few minutes so that we can go down to Ropley and Alsford. Well, it certainly sounds as though we have a locomotive just through the wall from us. So hopefully we'll be on the move soon. We're finally on our way. Wartime certainly plays havoc with the railway service. Fortunately for the locomotive, it is downhill all the way to Ropley, so it doesn't have to strain too hard. The last locomotive coming up from Ropley was slipping quite badly. This year there's a unit of the Russian army and they're here in the cattle dock at Alsford Station. I've just been in one of their 12-man tents. Very interesting food they've got, some American, some captured from the Germans and some things which are a little difficult to translate. For example, there is one set of tins called stewed meat and then there's also 
carp in tomato sauce. Interesting. People have been quite enthusiastic looking at their weapons as well. I'm with Hayley from Pearl's Pinup Parlour and she's going to tell me what she's doing here today. Hi, so we're doing um, 1940s inspired vintage hairstyling and makeup as well for the ladies wanting to look like wartime sweethearts. Have you had many people in? We have, we've been inundated. It's our third year and we had a queue before we even packed um, all of our stuff out this morning. So yeah, word's spreading I think. And as a train arrives, we generally get an influx of people. So we've been rushed off our feet. With queuing before opening time and the fact you've been here for three years, sounds like this is going to be a future into the future. I hope so. We'll be here as often as people are happy to have us here. We love it. And uh, seeing everybody dressed up is just wonderful. More and more people dressing up each year, I think. So we always make the effort. It's nice to see everyone else taking part as well. So who does your hair? I wish we all did each other's. It would make life easier, but we actually all do our own pretty much. We're used to doing it and doing it quite quickly. It takes a few years to get good and then... Yeah, we all generally do our own. When you're not here, do you go to other events? Yeah, that's how I got into it, actually. So, yeah, all the local events I pretty much have been to or know of. Often now I am working at them, which is fine, because we enjoy what we do. So you see it from another perspective working the events. But, yeah, we're quite spoiled in the South, I think, for events. Do you have another job when you're not at an event like this? No, this is my full-time job. So you'll see me at vintage events. I do bridal styling for brides looking for the vintage uh, look. I teach vintage hair in workshops and we do makeovers for photo shoots as well. So all in all, it's a full-time job. Have you come far today? Not really, about an hour away in Salisbury, which is not bad at all. We're often on the road and used to travelling, so an hour's quite nice, actually. Thank you very much. Thank you. This podcast is published by the Mr T Podcast Studio.